On this week's show, the guys talk about The Mandalorian's return for season two, One Night in Miami's chances at the Oscars, and we have an incredible guest, Vince Vaughn. Hello, Blenders, and welcome, welcome to episode number 142 of Real Blend, a podcast that is dedicated to the memory of the late, great Sean Connery. My name is Sean O'Connell, the managing editor here at Cinema Blend, and I want to explain uh, why I'm channeling my inner Tony Montana today. Uh, just something cool for the people who are watching on the YouTube channels. Uh, Cinema Blend got this great opportunity through a company called Shoe Palace, and they have this really cool um, Scarface 2020 line of clothing that's coming out. And they sent me the Tony Montana uh, shirt. So it's funny because I wore it today. And I uh, thought it'd be part of the show. And nobody said anything to me at all. They just you thought it was a why? fashion choice. You popped up. And yeah. I just, I, I honestly just, I saw the shirt. Yeah. I thought it was interesting. Rolled with it. But, it had, but I wasn't. I, I, on it. Yeah, I wasn't going to. You know, I, I went through like kind of a, a moral crisis in my Same. head because I thought about saying something about your shirt. Yeah. But then in my head, I just thought like. Like, don't be a dick. Like, maybe, like, maybe he likes I was like, don't, don't like make fun of him. Though I gotta be honest, you in that shirt, yes. I feel like it's not complete unless there's no undershirt. Right? I so know. I feel like, so like, like let the chest hair out a little yeah. bit. Like, I'll, let the, well, I'll tell you a little something about me. A, not a single chest hair on me. I am the, I have just. I just started getting Bald as a baby's bottom. Congratulations, Smooth Kev. From the eyebrows down. <laughs> I, uh, I just yeah. started getting face, uh, chest hair. I'm like really yeah. excited. I'm 36, man. We are already Late revealing bloomer. far too much about the Riblin <laughs> team. Uh, oh, oh, I got to point out that, of course, at the Shoe Palace shirt. Uh, not a sponsor, not a sponsor of the show, but they did give us an exclusive look uh, over on Cinema Blend. So go over to the, the main site. And check that out. Uh, let's get into this week's show. We're going to talk about One Night in Miami, uh, Regina King's amazing film, and how it's uh, deciding to enter into the awards race. The Mandalorian is back, and we're going to talk about uh, episode one of season two, because we caught up with that. So if you haven't yet seen the episode, catch up with it before you get to later on in the show. And we have, oh, a tremendous guest on behalf of the horror comedy freaky Vince Vaughn is joining Real Blend. And God, he was an excellent fit on the show, uh, plugged in beautifully with the hosts. And by hosts, I, of course, mean Kevin McCarthy of Fox 5 in Washington, D.C. Hi, Kev. How are you? Hello, Sean, Jake, Gabe. Good to have you back, Gabe, by the way. and uh, Glad to be back. Gabe is back as well, too. Yes. Uh, and joining the show as well, too. Jake Hamilton joining the show, co-hosting the show. Jake Hamilton of Fox 32 in Chicago. Jake, how are you? No, well, buddy. How are you? I'm doing okay. Uh, let's get through some housekeeping notes before we throw it into the uh, Vince Vaughn episode. I want to let people know that if you're watching us on YouTube and appreciating my Tony Montana shirt, thank you very much. Uh, make sure that you hit subscribe, turn on your notifications, and keep up to date with uh, the episodes that we put on the YouTube channel. If you're listening to us where you get your audio podcast needs served, uh, you can go to the description down below and figure out how to Join us on YouTube, uh, and especially to let you guys know why the YouTube channel is a little bit more valuable uh, than you might think. Last week, the Michael Giacchino interview 
we did the audio for it, which was the bulk of the interview. And then towards the end of the conversation we were having with him, he decided to turn it into a show and tell um, and pull out all these amazing props from behind him because his office was incredible. And first off, you should have just watched the interview with Michael Giacchino because his office was really cool. But then when he started to pull out all these really great movie related props, like Stormtrooper helmets and a Doctor Strange amulet, which we now know thanks to... Scott Derrickson is not the Doctor Strange <laughs> amulet. Felt a little bit bad about like, that. Give the story on that real fast, so people. But we know. never said it's not one of the. He just wondered. No, no, no. Where so he he here's what happened. I might have overstepped a little bit. So Jakino showed us an amulet uh, from Doctor Strange, one of the ones that Doctor Strange wears. It has the Time Stone inside of it, the the Eye of Agamotto, as nerds like myself would like to call it. And we freaked out because we thought it was one of the official ones from the set. And so when I tweeted. The um, photo, the screen grab of it, I said he's showing us one of the ones that he took home from the set of Doctor Strange, making an assumption that it was one of the ones from the set of the movie. Now, that prompted Scott Derrickson to weigh in underneath it and say, oh, that's where that was. was. (laughs) There were only three of these made and I have one, Scott Derrickson says. And then he says, apparently you have one, Michael. (laughs) And the other one went to a producer. And then Giacchino said, now, guys, I didn't say where I got this from. Uh, so let, everything else I showed you was official, which included a statue from Lost. Which right. had and, John, and John's Charlie defense, Tyrone. he was yeah. showing us official things like it was it was in the midst of like like a a, a piece of music used from Planet of the Apes or yeah. the the uh, the pro- prop from Lost. So it was just deduced that it was. Sure. Yeah, I leave for one week. And you guys start pissing now, off Gabe, giant Gabe, you directors. heard the uh, interview out of context. Did you believe that he was showing us the true Eye of Agamotto? Well, no, I saw, I, I listened to it after. Okay. Uh, I saw the context on spoiled. Twitter. So. It was great. By though. the way, you I know, don't think... I was, we, we obviously, we made a conscious choice not to include the show and tell in uh, the audio portion of the podcast, it, audio only, just because it, it, it kind of misses something if you can't. Yeah. But there was in, in the rewatch, because I was thinking, I was like, what would this be like if I were listening to it? There was one moment when he got up to go to his shelf to like gather some things. And you could just hear the three of us whispering, like, what do you think he's going to get? <laughs> like, guys, what is, what, is, what is happening right now? And uh, I thought that that would have been funny if we'd have been able to hear just the, just the audio portion of that. Did we ever tell the audience that he was live from Middle Earth? Because like like Yeah, he was, he was in the middle of a, a Hobbit. Um, you don't, you don't get to talk about Middle Earth, Sean. You, know, <laughs> you can't purchase a Doctor Strange amulet, uh, or you cannot purchase a Scarface shirt, but you can get great Real Blend merchandise by going to... Uh, our store, cinemablend.com backslash shop. Pick up some new Real Blend merch. Uh, and anyway, on with the show. Weekly poll. We asked you guys last week if the future of Star Wars storytelling, Jake, I'm going to throw this to you, and Daenerys, is the future of Star Wars storytelling going to be in theaters, on television, or somewhere else? Star Wars storytelling. Okay, here's the deal, is that you asked that question yes. the weekend that The Mandalorian returned. Well, yes, I did. Which, so, like, I would say that it's safe to say that no matter what, no matter how you really feel one way or the other, that, and not just the, the return, but a hell of a return that got people very excited, that the answer is going to skew very heavily um, for television. Well, you're correct. Television had 61% 
of the votes and in theaters, 28.7, uh, some somewhere else had 10.2. And I think it's fair to say that the things that Star Wars is doing moving forward, which is just basically the Mandalorian and then the Obi-Wan show, um, are is more exciting primarily because we don't really know what is coming on the film side, right? Like it's a lot of potential, but nothing that's, that's been developed. Taika Waititi apparently is, is developing a show. Uh, I'm I'm sorry, a movie. Ryan Johnson is theoretically doing a trilogy of films. At what point are star Wars and Marvel going to combine and just do like Obi-Wan division or something like that? Like they could totally like, I'm, I'm being serious. I, think that I, I can remember those like video games, like DC Comics versus Marvel. Yeah, like, you, sure. you could. I mean, Disney owns Marvel and 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 uh, and Star Wars. And could there you ever are, see? There's a popular line of Star Wars comic books as well, too. So there's things that you can Dude. do. Yes, I just. But I mean, we have to keep in mind that, that Star Wars takes place in the past. Yes. Like it happened a long time ago. So do we actually know do. the year Star Wars takes place? 1973. <laughs> well, no, 77's the first movie. Do we know the year it takes place for real? Do no, we know that? No, I don't think it's so. a long time ever. ago. Okay. You know, I hope I hope a lot of people ask George Lucas that question, though. <laughs> what year did this George, take place? What year, honestly, did this all like take place? Like the 40s? <laughs> Actually, Jake, I've never thought about that. What do you think? Uh, I mean, theoretically, Jake, as a Star Wars fan, what do you think is happening on Earth during that time period? If if just in a I know it's fictional. But what sure. do you think is going on in the in human life? Do you think it's dinosaur I think, era? I, th- I, I think it's all before humans exist. Dinosaur era? You think it's dinosaur mm-hmm. time? I think it's a long time ago. Dinosaur uh, time. <laughs> <laughs> the, 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 they almost called Jurassic Park that. You know? <laughs> it's the Cretaceous, the Cretaceous period, whatever you want to call it. I, uh, I'm just, too late, too late. You already called it dinosaur Come on, no, I'm sorry. <laughs> But it is odd like that. I always found that strange about Star Wars because I would automatically assume that it's like way, way in the future because of the technological advances that have been happening. That's what's cool about it. Ships. No, it's not yeah. cool. It's almost like they didn't think it all the way through. Like he <laughs> to thought be, it to be fair, like the new cool. trilogy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yes. To be fair, though, a long time ago is pretty I relative like... because right now, six months ago feels like a long time. Gabe, ago. last night so... feels like a long time. No. Ago. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Fair, Theoretically, fair. Star Wars could be so far in the future that a long time ago is now. Oh, oh wasn't wow. wasn't um, wow that was good Chris Nolan style wasn't was like wasn't Battlestar Galactica like that was Battlestar Galactica right well, wait Battlestar Galactica know, you know who you guys should ask about this George Lucas Harrison Ford oh yeah <laughs> <laughs> oh Harrison Ford would would hundred percent have the answer to this question oh my God could you imagine if you sat down across from him in a junket and said now I just want to run a theory past you what yeah. if <laughs> A long, long time ago is because you're so far in the future that it's now. It's now. What? What would be worse? Him just straight up punching you in the face or him just staring at you in silence? I well, mean, Jake, didn't, didn't, he call it, didn't he call it kryptonite in your interview? Yeah, he, I mean, he was, was carbonite s- and he called yeah. it kryptonite. <laughs> and, then I, I said, and, then I, and then I corrected him and he goes, I just work here. I'll say one of the, the one of the only sad things that has come out of this job is realizing that we care more about these movies than the actors do. That's some the only of some of them, some of them. But like, like, I just find it so insane that we are so in tune with movies and then the people who are in them just don't really okay, care. But, but like in, in the actor's defense, like we have people out there that are very active on social media about real blend. And I'm not... I'm not saying that they care more about it than we do, 
But there are some moments where I think, like, Jesus, like they do, they do more for the show than I do, and I'm a co-host for it. I, so it's yeah, not, you true. know, sometimes it's not so much that you don't. Sometimes there are just people that just are really passionate about stuff, and that's great. Yeah. I also can't imagine having to talk about the same movie that you made forty years later. Imagine doing a junket interview like yeah. ten years ago that people keep asking you about. <laughs> but I will say this: Jake and I did the Halloween junket. That movie came out decades ago, and yeah. uh, and I thought Jamie Lee Curtis answered every question, whether it was a question she's gotten a million times, as if it was the first time she ever answered. Yeah, but it. I think it's because she was promoting Halloween. I think if you were to ask her about Halloween at the Knives Out junket, she'd True. be like, "What?" the hell like in the same way when you got harrison ford at force awakens like yeah. of course he was great about talking about star wars he was there to promote star wars yeah kills me you guys got willis for that diehard thing with bob too it's like <laughs> the only time i could ever talk to him about it he's such a prickly son of a gun now all right anyway <laughs> let's get to this week's interview uh the great vince vaughn i can't take you seriously wearing that shirt I I, it's, it's it's got tigers on it uh <laughs> uh join Wait, the show oh, hey sean sean behind yes, you do you mind saying hello to your little friend uh no i'm being thanks. serious there's a little friend behind you Green the, baby yoda yeah baby, oh, yoda. baby yoda baby yeah. yoda's up there as well too uh vince vaughn joined the show to talk about freaky and while we had him we discussed a number of other things including 25 years of swingers uh, his idea, uh, or at least the idea that's being shared around for the Wedding Crashers 2, and uh, a lot of other things from his career. So, Lost World, Dinosaur Time! Without further ado, <laughs> it's Vince Vaughn uh, on the Rebelland Podcast. The Cretaceous, whatever, come on. <laughs> Vince, thank you so much for joining us on Real Blend. I'm going to jump right into it. I know you're in the middle of, uh, of a junket. You and I spoke earlier, and I was uh, talking to the guys earlier and making fun of myself for asking a really bad body swap question. I said, like, dude, everyone's asking a body swap question. I think I asked a bad one. When you do a movie like this, it has such a fun premise. Do you kind of prepare when you start to do press to, to get asked a different variation of that same question? And, and did you get any, any bad ones today? No, I don't think they're bad ones. I think part of the fun of this type of, of movie is that concept. And what was unique was Chris Landon and Michael Kennedy, the writer, who was terrific. I was surprised, frankly, that I'd never seen it in a horror context before. Mm -hmm. so it just popped off the page as a really fun idea. And, you know, when these things are done well, they're a lot of fun. And... So I really expected that to be a, a large part of what the concept is, you know, that's sort of the fun. And, and so much for me that the stuff I'm not in, where you see Millie sort of go through high school in a way where she's not always treated the best, there's an odd viewing experience where you know the butcher's terrible, but there is sort of a justified revenge that happens on occasion back at high school as well. So. So it was just unique in, in that way and surprising that I hadn't seen something that took advantage of that before. You know, Vince, I, uh, I, I talk about this a lot, but I, I'm, I was bullied heavily in middle school and high school. So these themes ver uh, stick out to me very much when I watch films like this. I, I'm, I'm simultaneously entertained, but at the same time, I'm also kind of like remembering aspects of school, but in, in a good way. But I never really stood up for myself. And there's a great moment where your character well, she's inside your body and she gets to stand up for herself against a bully in a bathroom. Um, and I just was interested to know just generally for you personally growing up, was bullying something that you dealt with? And uh, or did you ever stand up for people who were bullied and or have a moment where you stood up for yourself if you were bullied? Yeah, there's nothing worse than bullying, you know, and hurting someone's spirit. It's a it's a terrible way to try to have a moment of feeling safe. Um, by really putting someone down and hurting them that way. And I wonder how much when you're younger, 
people are really aware of the trauma that they're causing or the hurt. And then, you know, of course, kids on the other side of it don't share with their parents because they don't want to be embarrassed or let them down. You know, there's just not a lot of, you know, at those times, good communication, understanding of it. And then as you get older, you realize, well, this bully's in a lot of pain, probably like you wouldn't think that, but they're learning it somewhere or they just haven't been taught that there's consequences and one shouldn't do that. So I think it's a fertile ground for all of us as human beings. There's a stage where you're, you know, you're going through changes, you're not confident, your public humiliation is a big deal and your universe is so small, there's there's no way to escape it because this is your ecosystem. So I, I think in the script, it does a good job of setting Millie up both with complicated home life. She's got a good, nice, good quality of friends. But even the small thing of the guy wooing at her in the hallway, to him, it's just a moment in his day. But for her, it's like, you know, you're totally making her feel weak and, and yeah. unimportant. It's a horrible feeling. And, and that's what's interesting in the film, I think, that even though it's the butcher and, a, and, and dark, it's a weirdness that you're almost like with a teacher who was unkind. We've all had those moments. So it, it sort of in an odd way addresses it. That's almost empowering in, mm. a, in a dark, in a dark kind of surprising way. Our teachers mm. didn't as the teacher in this movie though. No, <laughs> right. one, would, one would suggest that maybe in their own way, anyone who chooses that path probably, probably is, is limited in sort of connections and what they're dealing with. Uh, Vince, I loved that this movie Freaky uh, played very much like an homage to the 80s slasher films that we grew up on, especially early on in the movie. There's a moment where you're sort of stalking somebody around a mansion. I, you got Michael Myers vibes, Jason vibes. Uh, we were just recently talking on the show about uh, memories of being in the uh, a video rental store and spending extra time in the horror section, scanning those VHS covers. They felt so... Um, off limits to us. It was R rated. You know, we, we were uh, really paying attention to how much, how we rented that type of stuff. This brought me back to that. I'm curious if you had memories like that or who introduced you to horror early on and got you into the genre. What a, what a great sense of memory. I was just discussing this with friends in that one of the thing I loved about that video store experience was it got, gave you a chance to break out of your norm. Yeah. Because you felt private. Like I almost remember as a kid going to a store where I didn't know the people because mm. it kind of gave me permission to look down aisles and stuff that for whatever reason, I didn't feel as confident. Mm-hmm. And I think there was more of a chance as an individual to carve out your unique taste because you got to walk by aisles and you would do stuff. One of my objections today with some of the way that we see stuff is, and these guys are good at it. Like they're good at deciding what you're going to like, but there's less of a chance to break out because it's just thrown right in your face and you're grabbing it. And there was something great about record stores and and rental stores that I could go down a path that was not common to me. And what a beautiful door to open and start to appreciate something different. For me, it was my sister who was older than me. And she was so great in so many ways, my sister Valerie, and she really cracked the door to horror. I remember being wanting her approval and respecting her so much and wanting to watch them and kind of holding it together, but having such a wild imagination, being absolutely terrified so much that I couldn't sleep, that I I really had issues, but I would go back for more. The Evil Dead being the one that I remember freaking oh, out yes. the most yeah. because of the POV of the camera just terrified me. You know, the unseen demonic presence was was terrifying, but 
But I think that's the fun of, of movies. It's like in genre movies, it's like an amusement park. It's fun to go on all the different rides mm -hmm. and take mm -hmm. the appreciation of those genres. And Chris Landon, who's obviously a fan and terrific addict, I think was having a lot of fun, him and Michael Kennedy, with doing the very thing you suggested, which is, you know, tilting these iconic masks and images and, and, and creating that kind of, you know, standard understood avatar only then to enjoy the body switch and kind of flip it. Right. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. You know, no, I was, uh, speaking of, Oh, go ahead, Jake. Go ahead. Oh Sorry. yeah. No, no. I, I was just thinking about the piggybacking on that idea of, of sort of this movie paying tribute to the great sort of 80s slasher movies. Um, you know, I was thinking about uh, psycho, the, 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 you being in the Gus Van Sant remake of psycho, which in its own way, in a different way, pays tribute to a different kind of era of horror movies. And I'm sort of curious, both films obviously completely different with different intentions, but both pay tribute to my favorite horror movie genre. Uh, I'm sort of curious, how are those experiences for you as an actor different and how are they similar? Well, Gus was really, to me, it was like, I always looked at the arts, you know, music and songs like non-religious in that they were there to be explored. Um, and Gus was making really interesting films at the time. So I was saying yes to him. I didn't really think through the process as much. And it was a really, as an actor, an interesting thing because there was days where we would watch the scene and match it shot for shot. And then we would abandon that on other days. It wasn't consistent, but the exercise for me selfishly was just an interesting thing to go through. Um, and where this was concerned, I think Chris is so talented at blending comedy and horror. It's, it's, an, it's a difficult thing to do. So we were putting so many things on its ear and having so much fun. But what I loved the most was that there's an emotional believability that goes throughout, like the scene with my mother or the scene with Uriah's character, Booker, or the friendships. Like, I think part of what helps us buy the body swap, and obviously Catherine's performance tremendously so as Millie is, I think we emotionally buy those feelings and connections. And that's part of the magic trick, I think, of buying this situation is the, the ability for all of us, like I said, to connect to those very vulnerable moments, Younger, where you're out of, you're over your head in water, you're not used to, or you're, you're feeling, you know, picked on or isolated. And that's really what carries the day, I think, in a lot of this. Yeah, I love the scene in the clothing store with the polo. That was a really great moment. Um, um, uh, you, you mentioned video stores. Uh, growing up, one of the one of the one of the VHSs or the DVDs you'd walk by was Swingers. I mean, that iconic picture with you holding the martini. Uh, yeah, I mean that's what, another another version of it as well. Uh, but there's that famous one where you're holding the martini out, which is a really cool shot. Um, that movie turns 25 years next year, which is absolutely incredible. And I just wanted to ask your retrospect on that film, what you what you remember about it now, 25 years later, and the idea of you're so money becoming such a pop culture element thing as well just i was just curious to your thoughts on that yeah i mean a lot of that was lines i used to say joking around with john um a lot of the lines that were in the movie and then he sort of you know wrote the screenplay and took a lot of those things and 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 put them in the film and i think the one thing about it was i remember saying to him you know why are we auditioning for stuff that's not really about what's going on like i i love when i see people who are younger giving themselves permission to write movies or make movies because you're sort of in a unique moment where you're a part of it. Um, and so for us, it was really like, we really wanted to be uncompromising. And I think what made it unique for us was that we were kind of vulnerable. These, these were guys that were not, a lot of guys making movies were 
making movies like the guys were the super coolest or the toughest. And I think part of what makes swingers work is there's an honesty and a vulnerability, like they're helping a friend through a breakup. They, everyone has different ideas of, of what the right way is to, to meet people. Swingers captures that moment where you're either out of high school or out of college. You don't really share anything in common with the girl yeah. or you like in class with her. How do I go up to someone that I don't know at all and be able to make an introduction and see if there's any chemistry there when I, when I, but they don't know who I am. So it's dealing with that very unique moment that happened to be specifically set in Los Angeles at a time where a lot of these punk bands were becoming these, you know, original swing bands, which was really fun and, and, and cool. But the moment I think is relatable, no matter where you are or where you're from, you're sort of out of college or a group of friends and you're kind of figuring out dating as an adult for the first time and, and moving away potentially from where you're from and dealing with heartbreak. So I think that the movie as a comedic version, but at the core, at the essence of it, I think, you know, you're, you're not really inventing stuff. You're just kind of on, 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 on revealing what's already there, which is the journey that, that John's character takes, which is, oh, you know, it's, it's better to be myself and make a real connection with someone than to try to remember to be all these things that I'm not. And then, hmm. and then maybe really not have someone get to know me. You know, it's sort of a lesson that we have to go through. We love nostalgia. Vince, could we ever revisit those characters? You know, the one thing we're talking about just recently, which I mentioned is Wedding Crashers. David Dobkin had a really good idea that's contemporary. And, you know, I, I, I never went and made a sequel to a lot of these films at the time because it felt like we were just chasing a success. But what I like about where Crashers potentially could be at is there's something that's of this moment that feels really good. That's, that, that's a good, you know, a lot of these comedies, like even something like Wedding Crashers, you're sort of investigating things that I think are real in our lives, but the comedy is an overcommitment to the absurd. Yeah. Um, yeah, th I wanted to sort of ask you that question about sequels, because going over your filmography, you had so many that would have just been layups, you know, and, and, and horror produces a lot of them, too. So Freaky could very easily do it. But I was curious why you avoided it. You said it just felt like because you were cashing in on something. Yeah, it just didn't feel like the story idea for the second one was as good as the moment of the excitement that the movie did well. Gotcha. You know, it felt like I just go make another movie that was interesting versus go and tread on it. But I kind of think the timing for Crashers and what it discusses is contemporary and fun. And this could be a fun way in. But yeah, I always just felt like if there was a really good story and a continuation, like, you know, Dodgeball, I love that character and those guys, mm. but you'd want to make sure that that you're, you're investigating something new. You're not just treading on something that was already kind of discussed. You know? God, I admire that. The so Isla much. Fisher yeah. table scene might be one of the funniest scenes I've ever seen in a movie. I would love to have seen that movie. That scene get shot, to be honest with you. <laughs> that scene in the breakup singing scene as well is those are actually complicated because you have to turn the camera around. Everyone has to match energy for what's going on. So technically those scenes are challenging, but yeah, those circumstances, that was a lot of fun. That was a, that was, that movie was a ton of fun to shoot. What a great cast. Everyone involved was really, really terrific. All right, well, Jake, Vince, take us out, man. Speaking of, of sequels, um, right now Universal is shooting uh, a new Jurassic World movie, which brings back a lot of the original characters. I think say Jeff Goldblum, Sam Neill, and Laura Dern are all coming back. Um, and I loved you in The Lost World. Obviously, it was great. Yeah. You got to work with Spielberg. And I'm sort of curious, uh, was there ever any conversation of bringing your character back into any of the world films? Or is that even something that you would be open to re revisiting sort of the dinosaur world again? I like Steven quite a bit. I remember he saw Swingers and that's when I talked to him and, my, and, I, and I've worked with him since. And, and um, I really love just how 
warm he was in talking about films. I, I'm a film nerd, so I've talked about Westerns and shots and scripts, and he's obviously a wealth of knowledge, but very um, generous with that. And as far as The Lost World was concerned, it was, it was fun for me to go participate in something like that uh, and be a part of it. But um, it wasn't necessarily for me my, my biggest calling or, or something that I was, I, I, I was wanting to do over and over again. Not that I wouldn't be open to movies like that because I have fun going to see them. But as an sure. actor, um, at that time, I was just more excited by like wedding crashers and, you know, old school and, and those kind of things that were contemporary. But um, yeah, I, I could definitely go and, and see myself doing something with effects um, and movies like that that were fun and had a good story. You know, obviously Jaws being one of the great ones in that genre as you discuss it. But no, there was no conversations. I, there was no, no conversations as far as the, the Lost World was concerned currently. For sure. Well, well we, we really appreciate your time, Vince. And I'm glad you mentioned Westerns. I actually just watched Once Upon a Time in the West for the first time. They're Leone films. And I'm like really kind of going through like the older Westerns now. But listen, we really appreciate Charles, Charles Bronson. Dude, I'm like, I am all in on Bronson. I just watched Great Escape. I just watched Dirty Dozen. I'm like all in on Bronson right now, man. Another good one with, with Bronson. Hard Times? Yeah, he plays like a bare knuckle fighter, I believe. Yeah, I did Death Wish. That was real. That Goldblum scene was brutal, man. Oof. Yeah. Man. <laughs> fun to discover movies, isn't it? Yeah. And, I, and it there's is. something I haven't seen. And, you know, it's just so great to find these films and, and go watch them. Yeah. Cool. Well, thanks, Vince. We appreciate it. Right. Good thanks, to talk man. to you. Appreciate it. We need to thank Universal uh, for giving us Vince Vaughn on the Real Blend podcast. And Freaky is coming out later in November. We're going to have reviews for that as we get closer to the release. November thirteenth. Um, yeah. Is that the date? Friday okay. the thirteenth yep. in theaters yep. too, right? Yeah. Select theaters Friday the thirteenth, uh, supposedly. Good for them. Right. Yeah. Um, good for them. Are they, uh, are, they, are they doing a Are they doing a combo? I don't think they are. No. I VOD? think it's just going to theaters. Okay. I'm pretty sure it's just going to theaters. But you know, like I get, I get this saving it for Friday the Thirteenth, but that movie would have been no pun intended. It would have been killer for a VOD release in October. Now, like when wait. people were desperate for mm. like horror movie content, I think it would have done so well. That's a good point. Now, does this movie uh, go under the new standards of Universal's seventeen day thing? Well, that's Ooh, what I would think. That's yes. interesting. I yeah, think so it theoretically probably would be. two weeks. And I keep be... forgetting that that's a thing because yeah. the world exists. Yeah. Exactly. So, so for people who don't know what I'm referring to, like earlier in the pandemic, there was a deal struck with AMC and Universal Pictures that they would shrink the window from the 90 days to the standard 90 theatrical before going to on demand to I think it was 17 days. So uh, 17 the question days. question now is will Freaky and and future uh, uh, Universal films have to follow that? Is that I mean, that is confirmed, right? That that deal is confirmed. Yes, that deal okay. is in right. place. And I would assume Freaky is one of the first ones to take advantage of it. Yes. Mm. This episode of Real Blend is brought to you by Marvel Strike Force. Marvel Strike Force is a mobile squad RPG that allows you to battle with your favorite team of superheroes and supervillains in a fight to save the universe against threats like Doctor Doom and Apocalypse. Power up your favorite characters and build a team to complete missions, unlock gear and other resources, and even challenge other players in PvP modes such as Alliance War and Arena. New ways to battle with your roster are released regularly, and the meta is constantly evolving. And now you can sign on for Marvel Strike Force's new Deadpool Anniversary event in order to receive a generous gift containing character shards, an anniversary diamond orb, gear, and other great items. 
Better yet, each week during the Deadpool anniversary, players can complete events and receive even more special rewards and skins. If you want to get in on all the fun of Marvel Strike Force, be sure to use our promo code MAXPOOL, that's M-A-X-P-O-O-L, and thank you to Marvel Strike Force for supporting the show. Um, We were talking about the fact that eventually somebody was going to make a, a thriller, drama, something set during the pandemic, that there would be stories that would address the pandemic. We have had conversations with multiple multiple people in the industry who are creative storytellers to talk to them about how the pandemic is going to affect the type of stories that they tell moving forward uh, with people telling us that they would want to stay as far away from it as possible and want to uh, offer up stories that, that gave you alternatives to everything that we've been living through. And some other people who have decided that they're going to plunge fully into it and make it part of their storytelling. And that brings us to the trailer for a movie called Songbird. And um, I think we all had the same reaction. My reaction when I watched it was, and I kind of heard everybody's reaction before I pressed play on it. Most people were reacting with just like, oh, it's too soon. This isn't the movie. I don't want to see this. And I was like, ah, it can't be that bad. And then I played it and I was like, oh no, I really don't. I just don't want to see this. Like it's it, it, not only is it too soon, it, it's, it feels like it's using all of the aspects that have been super uncomfortable about the pandemic, uh, being stuck in your house, not being able to communicate with loved ones, having to communicate through technology um, and tries to manipulate them into a, um, a thriller, like almost like a it looked like a home invasion type thriller. Um, and then, of course, it doesn't help that and Kevin. I know that this is your boy, but it says produced by Michael Bay. And I. I if we're going to get a, a, a pandemic thriller that connects with the audience, it's probably going to be something a little more sophisticated, maybe reaches a little bit higher than what I saw from Songbird. But I, yeah, my gut reaction when I saw this trailer was just too soon, too soon. Well, I'm not ready to watch that. One thing I found fascinating, though, at the start of the pandemic, and again, I, I don't think this is a good idea. I just say that right out. <laughs> I don't think this is a good idea for a film right now, um, considering people are still dying from this virus. It's very yeah. serious. So, um, but at the beginning of the pandemic, what movies became popular? Contagion, um, all those. Uh, and my point being is that like, do you think studio systems were looking at what people were consuming? Uh, and they were like, huh, Contagion is the number one film that people are watching right now, whatever the metric on it was. Do you think that that was the thought process? Cause I can't think of any other logical reason to put out a movie like this now, yeah, especially maybe. like maybe like I could see it happening like years. Like it's and again, um, it's always interesting when something disastrous happens in the world and then we see a film based on it. And it's always a question of whether or not it was too soon, you know, and I think obviously now this is too soon. I just wonder the thinking like like, like did do they not understand how the well, Internet would respond? I thought, to this? It, I thought it felt rushed. Um, it looks like it was shot in two weeks. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It has a series of um, recognizable actors. Yeah. De like pretty De big Demi actors. Moore, yeah. Alexandria, Dardario. But they all look like that they shot their scenes like at their homes. Um, and it was just the footage was cobbled together. But and the reason why I'll, I'll say the comparison I'm going to make is that Greenland movie that Gerard Butler made. Yeah. Um, which was made way before any of this happened. But because of the nature of its story, and this was a comet that was coming down to hit or pieces of an asteroid that were coming down and about to hit our planet, that ended up making relevant commentary about, like, what would we do in a global disaster? Mm -hmm. um, but it wasn't made with the intention of 
we're going to comment on a global disaster. It just happened to be there. This movie feels like it was like rushed utopia, into Jake, production. Right? Yeah. But even on the flip side of that, because we've gotten movies made in the pandemic that have pandemic themes already with Host, which is a movie I'm a, I've obviously been oh, yeah. being a massive fan of. Mm-hmm. But what I loved about that is that it's a horror movie and it's not about COVID-19. It exists yeah. because of the circumstances that COVID-19 has right. yielded, which is a group of girls who are bored at home and on Zoom like we literally are right now and decide to have a seance. Yep. They even have a joke that like I don't even know if it'll play in 10 years, which is like one of them sneezes and the other girls go like, oh, my God, like, oh, you know, like that's you know, like that's something that we can relate to now. I don't know how that's going to play. Right. So to me, that works like like a like yeah. a circumstances a circumstance that that arises from the making it about the pandemic and then turning it up to 11 mm-hmm. it feels icky it feels like he like someone the writer whoever it is watched the news for a week and found like the buzzwords and found like the things that's really setting people off mm-hmm. and then decided to turn them all like okay it's that but what if it were like re- like like what are people's fear like i you know like we're at a point you know, where a lot of people don't even want to turn on the news anymore right. because of the reality that's happening. So why would you want to take what's happening on the news and then imagine how much worse it could like like people's anxiety is not bad enough already. You want to show mm. them exactly what would happen if things got worse. Right. Well, also to Jake's point, like like there are there are shows that are coming out that are are, are designed around it in a good way. Like Netflix is doing cool stuff with like social distancing ideas mm-hmm. about like how to do dating and whatever, whatever their shows are, the social dilemma, whatever. I don't know the specifics of all those shows, but those are all falling into a field of how we're adapting to the time. Not that not like this movie that we're referring to is like taking it to this like disaster extreme because it's like, what is it mutilated like four years later into the I don't know the story specifically uh, for it, but it's I think it's I think it's in 2023 because yeah. like, they call it they call it COVID 2024. Didn't I read that Anne Hathaway is going to be in like a romantic comedy set during stop the pandemic? Stop I thought that. I read that well, somewhere. I remember there no. was like a romantic comedy shot for uh there was like with one of the uh, actors from Hamilton. There was like him and his girlfriend who lived together or wife who lived together. They shot, yeah. they shot like a, a love series that took place during the pandemic. But again, to Jake's point about like the, the, the host show uh, movie, it's, it's a, it's around how we have adapted versus yeah. creating a disaster movie that makes it much yeah. worse. So did you ever see it, Kevin? Did you ever watch host? I have not seen oh, it. Oh, you got to do I know, to. I know we're out of a horror movie t- month now, but you got to, uh, Sean watched it. It's t- turn off the lights. It's like 55 minutes. Oh, it's brilliant. I want to see it. Uh, I don't have shutter though. Super, it's super effective. Do a trial. Like, 10 day trial. All right. Now that's cheating. Why would you do that? You pay for this. Didn't Netflix get rid of their trial? Okay, Sean will pay for it. <laughs> yes, I think they did. All right, let's move on to uh, horror that we think is actually uh, going to work, which is Scott Derrickson returning to uh, the realm of, well, no, I'm not sure they ever did a Joe Hill uh, adaptation, but Joe Hill's stories have been adapted before. Daniel Radcliffe did Horns, and um, there's another one that Joe Hill. And as well, and too, for but people this that don't a, know, Joe Hill is the son of Stephen King. Yes, he is. Um, he has a horror novella called Black Phone that Scott Derrickson, who did Sinister uh, and Doctor Strange, uh, he's going to be returning with his writing partner, Robert Cargill, and uh, they're going to be adapting this movie called Black Phone. And so I looked up the uh, synopsis of Black Phone because I haven't read the book. And it says 
John Finney is locked in a basement that's stained with the blood of half a dozen other murdered children. In the cellar with him is an antique telephone, long since disconnected, but which rings at night with calls from the dead. Okay, I'm in. Yeah, Works. I'm in. <laughs> that, that should be Sounds fun. good to me. Yeah. Yeah, did you see that study? Um, speaking of Scott Derrickson, did you see the, that scientific study that scientifically proved that Sinister is the scariest movie? I yeah. did see that, yes. I thought that, and you know what? Like, I saw when I because I saw the headline like science proves the scariest movie and I thought it was going to end up being like The Exorcist or The Shining or something and I clicked on the link and when I saw it was sinister I sort of went okay like I I, I mean I'm I I'm ain't mad about it I I, th- I think we all sort of um we all are on the sinister bandwagon and and Kevin we did that junket right. and I remember just being like okay. legit terrified I have never seen it. You've never seen Sinister? <laughs> no, I have it here, oh, and it's not it, open. It's sealed. Dude, it's, it, it, it is one of the best horror movies of all time. It I think is. so. I don't. I don't think I'm overstepping. It might. I would. So I would argue The Shining is the scariest movie ever made. I would put Sinister probably at two. What is it about? What? Give me the two, one okay. sentence logline. I mean, the, the story is—it's like a story you've seen a million times from a, from the from the basic idea of it, Jake. Right? So, a family mm-hmm. moves into a house. Mm-hmm. Ethan Hawke is the father. He finds a box of old eight millimeter films, but and they're all labeled in a very disturbingly clever way of of, okay. of how a murder went down. And that particular element of him watching the eight millimeter family film, barbecue. Oh God! There, I mean, there. It. I mean, The Shining to this day still is the most is the scariest movie I've ever seen. Sinister is right there. No Sinister kidding. is genuinely it is so and I think what happened with Sinister, I don't know if this happened with Jake, it was so I was it was so unassumingly scary. I, I had absolutely no idea what I was getting myself into. I, I was like, I'm going to see an R-rated movie. It's a horror film. It's Scott Derrickson. Seems like a haunted house type deal. But the atmosphere of it and the and the and the sound of design and the way it's performed and Ethan Hawke and the and the children, it's just very the ending, the ending. It is it, it is hands down one of the most disturbing and scariest films I've ever seen. And I okay. highly recommend I actually Jake and I, I don't think I don't disagree with that article in, yeah. in a weird way, because, like, you know, yeah. I, I would probably give it to Shining, but I don't disagree that Sinister is one of the scariest, if not the scariest movie I've ever you seen. You remember what else was on the list? Did you look? I didn't look. Uh, at the rest I remember Hereditary list. was on there. <clears throat> yeah. um, for anyone who for anyone who hasn't seen it, just to explain what they mean by scientifically proven, they basically monitored uh, heart rate. Mm-hmm. Oh, did they the really? Article. Yeah, yeah. But, oh, yeah. I, I thought you had read it. Yeah, they have. It's kind of cool the way that they they monitored people's heart rate as they were watching the That's movie. To see have you seen what it? The uh, Gabe the spike was sinister. Yeah. Uh, no, I haven't seen Sinister actually. Can we, Which can is why I would think that like Shining wouldn't necessarily be on because like Shining is more of a slow burn, and so yeah. you know your heart rate is not racing yeah. while you watch. It's the a good show. headline. Sean, oh, yeah, of course. You gotta yeah. watch Sinister and and report back. Okay. Yeah. Well, soon I gotta watch Fat Man. <laughs> like tonight. So that's on my list. We, we but, all have to watch Fat Man. But I have Sinister here. Um, I love whenever we talk about something that I haven't seen and it's a title that has been like on my radar. And then uh, I look over to my shelf and there it is. It's sitting right there. That's Jake Lawnmower. Right. That, stop. That's... Stop. He's just teasing things. That I don't even know what they are. We're just going to say stop. words. <laughs> I just said lawnmower. And Jake Horrible said barbecue. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Let's get to uh, family so this barbecue. Is an unusual award season uh, in the fact that we're starting to now see some titles that 
theoretically are going to be contending. Uh, within this past week alone, most of us caught up with Mank. Uh, we were able to see Hillbilly Elegy. And we are getting information about uh, Regina King's film One Night in Miami and something interesting that broke about its Oscar campaigns. Um, we're going to be having this conversation a lot with these films because we can also talk about Trial of the Chicago 7 and where actors are going to fall in their categories. So for One Night in Miami, for people who aren't familiar, it takes place, as the title indicates, uh, following a Cassius Clay uh, boxing fight, and he gets together with three of his closest friends who were extremely influential at the time, Malcolm X, uh, NFL star Jim Brown, and uh, acclaimed musician Sam Cooke. And it's one of those ones where I think everybody gets the same amount of screen time, but they're going to break up this way uh, when they go into the awards race. Kingsley Ben-Adir, who plays Malcolm X, and Eli Goree, who plays Cassius Clay, are going to go into the leading uh, category, into the best actor category. Uh, Aldous Hodge, who plays Jim Brown, and Leslie Odom Jr., who plays Sam Cooke, the singer, are going into supporting. Um, this is apparently how Netflix is is strategy. Wait, it's not Netflix. One night, Miami Amazon. might be Amazon. Amazon Prime. Okay, uh, this is how they think that they have their best shot. <laughs> this is a really tough one because all four men are fantastic, and if anything, they might steal focus away from each other. And so now you have two people who are stealing focus away from from each other in one category and two people who are going to steal focus away from each other in the other category. Um, when you guys get a chance to see it, I think you'll be as hard pressed as I am to determine honestly who's the lead. Uh, I, I can see why they're going with Malcolm X and Cassius Clay. They do get the the I guess the story's somewhat told through their eyes. But Jim Brown and Sam Cooke are just as influential uh, in the movie. It's based on a stage play. I was unfamiliar with that. It plays like a stage play. It's got a ton of really long dialogue. Um, the, the, it's it's primarily driven by conversation as these four men decide to, uh, they discuss how much impact they should be having uh, in society and culture at this time, whether it's okay for someone like Jim Brown or Sam Cooke to just be content that they have succeeded uh, at the athletic level or as a musician or whether they should be taking that influence and and putting it to use the way Malcolm X does, the way Cassius Clay decides he wants to start to put his boxing legacy. So he's not uh, Muhammad Ali yet? Not yet, no. Um, oh, interesting. He's, he's contemplating going into the Nation of Islam and changing his name from Cassius Clay to Muhammad Ali. So um, fascinating, uh, really fascinating. And I can't wait to see how the rest of the uh, season plays out because especially with something like Hillbilly, um, you would have someone like Amy Adams uh now jake mm -hmm. she gets about as much screen time as glenn close in that movie does she not yeah you're not wrong but i i still feel like if i'm netflix i put amy adams in lead and yeah. glenn close in supporting um just because the character of of the grandmother feels like a secondary character for sure and yes. and the mother, you know, and, and, and the Amy Adams role is kind of the character that kind of gets the wheels. Like, she is the yeah. character by which, like, the, the plot revolves. Yes. Gabe, you said something? Or had something? Oh, I was just going to ask if you think uh, Regina King has a shot at getting nominated yes. for it. Yes, absolutely. You think she shows up in it as, as far as a director? Yes, That's awesome. absolutely she does. Um, I, I am down for a world in which Regina King exists in every award show moving forward. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. I don't care what, like, she has. Yeah. She has a... Acting Emmy and an acting Oscar, right? She's won both. Uh, well, she won the Oscar for sure. What'd she win the Emmy for? Watchmen. Oh yeah, you're right. Watchmen. So she needs a Tony and 
A Grammy. A Grammy. Give but it even time. if she gets if she gets an acting Oscar, an acting Emmy, and a directing Oscar, yeah, that's bad. Wait, she in a, in a very won. short amount of time. A very short amount. Of time. Oh, she won for um Barry Jenkins' film, right? Uh, Beale, Beale Street. Street. Yeah, she just yeah. won for Beale Street. God, she yeah. was so good in that. God, so she was that. so good in that. Yeah, she's incredibly talented. She All makes right. it look easy. Is that a Christmas Day release? I think it's a Christmas Day release. It's definitely December. Okay. Yeah. So I anyway. Think- they should give her an Oscar for Watchmen, even though it's television. That, oh, that performance, <laughs> like that performance, that performance is so amazing. God, yeah. No, she's movie, if you haven't seen Watchmen, I know Jake was on that a long time ago, but man, that that is. I'm, just, I'm glad you dug it. I'm glad Whew. you dug it. That is like some of the best media I've ever seen. Yeah. It's so oh, good. You know, uh, the the showrunner of that uh, created another show that was yeah. equally fantastic. Is it, is, it, is it this one? Is it, the, is it, is it this one right here? Yeah, that's the one. You know who that's huh. scored by, actually? Michael Cicchino. Oh. Yes. The whole show is scored by him. All six seasons of it. Uh, Jake, you watched the chess show? The ch- uh, mm-hmm. Queen's Gambit? Queen's Gambit, yeah. Is that good? I've heard really good oh, things. Yes. Is it really? Oh, my God. Yes. All right. Yes. I think Michelle and I are going to start watching it. Uh, and it's only seven episodes. Oh, nice. Very cool. Okay, yeah. cool. We're going to dive into Did that. Did it bring this you a lot of Anya Taylor-Joy? Uh, you know, maybe just because the world's burning right now. You I missed those. You gonna let that go? I missed. I, I kind of missed them. I feel like we haven't done them. Very, I feel like we haven't done them for a while, it's and true. I'm in a weird place. I'm tired, and I'm exhausted, and I'm I missed a, them, dude. I'm in a weird place. I'm in a weird place. <laughs> uh, Kevin, can you please tell us about the Man of Steel prequel? Uh, let oh, yeah. Mom, Pa, Kent. Yeah. <laughs> Remember, we got both of them at the junket together, didn't we? We did, for Man of Steel. That was a good room. Yeah, this was um, a surprisingly good movie. Um, I didn't know anything about it. So, um, uh, full disclosure, I I watched it because I did the junket for it, and I I didn't really know what to expect. And, you know, I love Kevin Costner, but... Well, the title is terrible. The title is so generic. It's such a bad title. I actually keep forgetting if it's Let Him Go or Let Go of Him. I I, I keep forgetting what the title is. Um, But the concept is essentially, uh, you know, Costner and Lane, their son is married. Uh, They have a child. Their son ends up dying in a horse accident. Um, The uh, the widow of his son remarries into this like very strange family. They then take the grandchild with them away from Costner and Lane uh, without any uh, say or what they're doing. So Costner and Lane go after them uh, essentially is the basic premise of the movie. So, um, you know, they're, they're diving into a strange family dynamic, a a, a dangerous family dynamic. Um, The actress, and I'm going to blank on her name, but please help me here. She was in Phantom Thread, she is so good in this movie. She plays like the oh, grandmother. She sister in Phantom yes, yes. Leslie Manville. Uh, yeah. Leslie, Leslie Manville. Manville. Yeah. Unrecognizable. Really? So much so that I couldn't remember her name. Um, but so good. So uh, for people who haven't seen the film, this is a, there's, this is uh, in the trailer as well, but you'll see her. She plays the grandmother of the family that takes their grandchild away, essentially. Um, and she's a villain in the film. And the way she's introduced in the movie, the lighting of her introduction shot is amazing. Um, Giacchino scored the film. I thought Costner and Lane were amazing. What I loved about it is Diane Lane really is the lead. Um, and I like that she's the one pulling Costner with her. Um, you know, and it kind of like goes into this idea 
of, you know, I'm married. I think my wife really runs everything. I, I, I don't know about, about you, Sean, in regards to that, but I, I feel like that the movie kind of shows a great dynamic of how incredible um, the, a marriage can be, uh, and especially in this particular case where Diane Lane is such a strong incredible force uh, and I love that that character was so awesome like it's her character is so badass and I think you know in this regard in, th- in this particular case Costner's kind of along for the ride and oh, Diane cool. Lane's kind of the one pushing it and I thought that was really kind of a cool uh, thing to see in cinema and I think they're great together I think Diane Lane you know I always go back to Unfaithful that's like probably one of the greatest like thrillers um, she Richard got an Oscar Gere. nomination for that so good in that movie mm-hmm. um, and it's interesting because they were married in Man of Steel so they get to work on their they get to kind of further a marriage idea in and let him go um, is the baby's name Kal-El it is yeah, <laughs> yeah. well no it's Clark Kent they didn't go the Kal-El angel angle. Oh, they, they wanted to Clark. keep it right. they wanted to keep it a little a little easier no but it, it's very hard not to think about it they're on a farm there's yeah. horses I mean it, it's very it's were there horses on the farm of Man of Steel I don't remember now I don't think so it was, it was, there was corn so. Corn, no. whatever it was, but it was still a farm. The poster looks like if you color graded it a little bit differently, <laughs> it would look like a Man of Steel yeah. poster. Yeah. <laughs> I, I just felt, I just think Diane Lane's a really great actor, and I, th- I think that she's a little underrated, and I think it's really cool to see the, a character like that in, in Here's cinema. A question. She's so great. Yeah. Here's a question. Is Kevin Costner underrated as an actor? 100%. Because I think, I think he is. 100%. I think he's really good. I think people forget how good Costner because Costner hasn't had a hit as like a as a so when was the last time oh, Costner led a hit? But for a long time he was enormous. Right, that's what I'm saying. But like, okay, so you go back when Costner was crushing it, right? So Dance with the Wolves, JFK, Bodyguard. Bodyguard. Yeah. He owned the '90s. Costner was like Costner Draft was a day. huge right. But, uh, I, but yeah. I think it's, is it because Draft his style <laughs> is so subdued? Like yeah, he that's never what I'm he never has like you right. know when. You know, if they were ever to ever, you know, do the season Untouchables. Be for him, yeah, you know, like he, like he always kind of surrounds himself with people who have like the bigger scenes than he does. He's yeah. kind of like the calming well, sort of voice of reason, and okay. that's the case here. And, and that's the case here. Like Diane Lane is the badass in this yeah. movie, and Costner's kind of the supporting character, even though he's a lead. Technically speaking, uh, I, it's interesting. I, I walked away thinking of Diane Lane and not Costner in this one. But they're both great. Uh, I, I, just, I just, it's an interesting question. Yeah, well, Costner, well, it's like the other day when I posed that question about Rob Reiner. Like, there's a lot of, there's a lot of people who've done such great work that we actually forget are great. Mm-hmm. Um, in the sense of, like, Rob Reiner has so many classics on his list, but he's never talked about in great director discussions. Um, and it's funny, because you could, you could say Rob Reiner and Coppola had a similar uh, a similar up and then a down. Now Coppola had classics like The Godfather and Conversation and Apocalypse Rob Now. Also has classics. So did Rob Reiner. But oh, yeah. Coppola is still discussed today in the, in that regard. In in the in talks about great directors, Reiner fell off. So it's like Costner. I would yeah. I would say Reiner's comedies are just as important to comedy as oh. as Coppola's dramas are to drama. Like, I think that's I think there's I think you're no, talking about the Godfather and no, Apocalypse Now. That's not what he said. No, Gabe, Gabe said no, no, that his the, comedies for comedy right. say, like yeah. Princess Bride. Like I think in the realm of comedy. Mm-hmm. I get what you're those saying. Those are those well, are yeah. monumental for me at least. No, I don't know when when Harry met Sally, like when Harry met Sally and he did Spinal Tap. I think that was controversial. I think that's a controversial. No, in the realm of comedy, you don't you don't think that that if someone came to you, yeah, I know what you're saying. Yeah. No, I understand. If what you're someone saying. came to you and said when He's, Harry met Sally, 
versus the is, Godfather. No, no it's, it's not. not. It's not no, the it's not. They're I'm saying that like when Harry Met Sally is like the Godfather of comedy. It's like maybe you don't agree with that, but you don't have enough to go against it. It's like, like Halloween he, is the 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 Godfather of horror films. Or, sure, or, I agree or, with you know, that. Or, yeah, I agree with that. When Harry Met Sally, I give you, I give you Carpenter and horror. I think that that's a fair comparison, but I don't think I'd give you Reiner in comedy. What in Reiner's filmography? So, all right. So you wouldn't consider when Harry met Sally a classic. No, I'm not saying that, but we're, we're talking about one of the greatest dramas of all time in the Godfather and one of the greatest war films of all time in apocalypse now. Okay. So you got to tell me that Rob Reiner made one of the greatest comedies of all time. He I think did. A lot of people maybe would say that. Spinal Tap could be maybe Spinal Tap could be argued about. No, for me for me the Princess Bride is up there. Okay. Yeah. But that's me personally. Okay. Uh, that's Also, I mean not that it's comedy misery. but like this is the dude a few good men. Yes, misery. no, no, I am not debating a few that. Good I even men think is one of your favorite movies Stan, ever made. Right, but it's not a comedy. We're talking but, about his comedies. Okay. You don't <laughs> you don't think when Harry met Sally is is one of the greatest comedies of all time? No. No. Who uh, hurt you? Yeah. No, no one did. Sally. I think it's okay. perfectly fine. I don't, you know, I'm not saying it's that the shirt, godfather would... of comedies. All right, Sean. <laughs> on that shirt, your, your opinions just no, went down the so drain. No, first of all, this is getting all... This is getting I will mi- say Spinal Tap, you could argue. Spinal Tap might be what the godfather is. No, it's not. the legacy of comedy. But when no. you're in Sally? No. Spinal Tap is too niche. Spinal Tap is too. Spinal Tap is like almost like Rocky Horror status, where it's like it's like it's like a it's a fun movie that's like fun to hang out with. I love that movie. Don't get me wrong. I think what Gabe is saying is that the important. He's not saying that when Harry Met Sally is the Godfather of comedy. He's no, saying no, he's no, saying no. it's it's too. When Harry Met Sally to comedy is what Godfather sure. is no, would no, be no. like a drama. But, I but, understand yeah. the comparison, but, but you love I'm a few good men. So it. let me ask this: What if we rephrase yeah. it? Like, what if we said a few? Uh, I guess how would you use a few, a few good, good men? Is the Godfather of courtroom dramas? Yeah, no, that's fair. <laughs> that's fair. Of courtroom dramas, yes. I, we're getting a few real. Good men is one of the. <laughs> we're getting, getting real niche here, starring Tom Cruise. <laughs> but it's an interesting discussion. But we've also had discussion on the show before too. I thought Brad Pitt was underrated as an actor. Uh, I think Tom Cruise is underrated. As an actor, as actors, yes. yes. If you want to sort of underrate them as actors, yeah. but, but uh, Kevin Costner is absolutely one of those guys. <laughs> Who so we were on the Jack Ryan uh, set visit the Shadow Boxer what was mm-hmm. what was that one called with Chris Pine and uh, wasn't it just called it, Jack Ryan I thought it had a something else after the it. second I it was one called Jack Colon um, Reach Further or I don't know what it was anyway with Chris Pine with Chris Pine I think yeah. it's just called Jack Ryan uh, wait Chris Pine was in Jack Ryan. He yeah. was Jack Ryan. He was Jack Ryan. Kenneth Branagh directed it, and Kevin Costner was his boss in it. Uh, what? What movie is this? <laughs> Why have I never heard of this? Wait, 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 wait. Hold on a second. I'm, I'm sure you've seen it Ca- and probably Captain did the Kirk, junket for it. Cap- Captain Kirk was Jack Ryan. <laughs> wait a second. There were- Kira Knightley was his wife. Yeah. What's the name of the movie with Tom Cruise that Macquarie did? That's Jack Reacher. Jack Reacher. Oh, I'm such an idiot. I'm thinking, Jack I'm, Reacher. I'm, thinking, I'm thinking of the Amazon show. Yeah. Oh, that Krasinski which is... Which is- Jack You're, Ryan. Jack Ryan is what is Tom uh, Harrison okay. Ford played him. Ben Affleck Alec, played him. Alec Baldwin. Alec Baldwin played him. <sighs> okay. Shadow something. Shadow recruit. Chris, Chris Pine. Yes, Chris Pine was Jack Ryan <laughs> in Jack Ryan colon Shadow Recruit. Shadow Recruit. <laughs> Shadow recruit. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. When did that come out? 2014. I've never heard of this film. <laughs> That's the problem. I bet you did the junket. I'm telling you. I probably did. I have, I have no idea. So we were the on poster the- is. The, the po- I remember the poster because I was working at I think I was working at Blockbuster yeah I was working at Blockbuster at the time and I remember the cover is just Chris Pine in like a black t-shirt 
walking. It's the most indiscriminate. <laughs> like, I guess I'm going to watch that movie. Um, we were on the set for that. They were shooting in London somewhere. And we were literally the only thing they were shooting on set that day was Chris Pine running up a flight of stairs. And Kenneth Branagh had him doing it like a dozen times um, with a bunch of setups in between. So it took forever. It was the entire day. Uh, and periodically people would come over and, and we would get Kenneth Branagh for a couple minutes. Then we got Chris Pine for a couple minutes. And Kevin Costner came down. And Costner sat down. We were in a round table. There's about 10 of us there. And uh, he starts talking to us about getting involved in the Jack Ryan franchise. And he talked about how he almost got the Harrison Ford part. You know, he was up for Hunt for Hunt for Red October. No, not no. Which one was Harrison Ford? Patriot Games? No, I'm sorry. Yeah. He was up for Hunt for yeah. Red October. He was up for Hunt for Red October. And he instead, I think, did. Um, I think that's when he did Dance with Wolves. It would have been around that time. Oh, wow. 1990 um, was Dance with the Wolves. So, yeah. And he Wait. decided he wanted to invest in himself and can direct I, his own picture. Can yes. I play ignorant movie fan for a second here? Um, sure. Jack Ryan. Oh. So that that whole universe is interesting to me. Like where else? So that that's all the in the line of fire. Like that that's all within no. that. Okay, that's what's different. that? That's just Wolfgang Peterson. No, in but the isn't line there a connection with all those movies that like you're all the, thinking the, of Patriot Games? Patriot Games and Clear and Present Danger. Yeah. What's the connection? Are the Jack Ryan ones. Okay. Well, they were adaptations of Jack. In the Line of, of Fire is Tom um, Clancy movies. Is is it in the Clint Line of Fire? Is that Clint Eastwood and John Malkovich? Correct. Right. Yeah. I for some reason thought that was part of that universe. For some they reason. made a bunch of those movies back in the they all kind of nineties and two thousands. Yes, similar yeah. stuff to that. But anyway, Costner yeah. sits down with us and he gives us twenty minutes, and it sort of evolved into a talking about his career type thing, and and he was just regaling us with stories from all the things that he's done. And the publicist comes over and taps him on the shoulder and he turns around and looks at her and he said, I'm not supposed to be on set today. And I came down here specifically because you asked me to talk to these guys. So I'm going to sit here and talk to these guys if that's okay." And the publicist was like, sure. And he stayed for an hour. Wow. Well, that's a guy that you could talk to for an hour. hundred percent. Because it got to the point where you just forgot all the things he was in yeah and he would casually mention like oh, this reminded me about that time when i was on set with sean connery and the untouchables and then we were all like oh i got five untouchables questions <laughs> let's go let's go did you talk field of dreams at all uh yes we talked everything literally everything oh. but it was what i was getting to is that and this goes to his underrated bit that was one of the times when you that man just exuded uh charisma like big screen charisma and you were like, just in conversation, and you were like, oh, that's why you're a movie star. I Now I totally get it. Like, mm -hmm. I couldn't stop listening to him. Everything he told us, we were all like on the edge of our seats, just mm -hmm. like, tell us more, Kevin Costner. And I, so totally that, that, reminded that, me that, of that, why It's interesting when you see, you know, because it doesn't always happen. And it, I feel like it happens so infrequently that it's worth calling out like you just did. When you see people with that natural charisma. And, yeah. and, and Kevin, you know, I, even like you, like we, 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 you and I have both met presidents before. Uh, and you, you see that in, and not to bring that up today, but you see that in presidents where you just, you see, you know, you see them working a room and you just mm. go, damn, like that, that's why you're a like, cause you got it, man. I, I was in a room with, with, uh, Clinton. I've been in a room with, with, uh, George W and you just, you see, you, you, you see him work in the room and you just go, son of a bitch. Like yeah, that is, yeah. that is, that is some charm you got there, man. Yeah. yeah. I believe it. I agree with uh, you. All right. The other movie opening uh, this week, in addition to Let Him Go, is Possessor, a horror film that I've heard people talking about. It's on VOD. I know it it's a hell of a poster. Earlier. What is it? What is it? So it's like kind of a, like it's yellow and the person's face is like all mis uh, disformed and uh, disfigured. And 
Uh, that's that's the extent of my knowledge of Dude, the film. Dude, what it's, was the um, feet, what? I'm sorry, okay. No, sorry, it's Cronenberg's son, right? Yeah. Oh, right, that's yeah, right, a, yes. A lot, of, okay. a lot of people's sons in this episode. Um, what was the feedback from your Halloween piece? Oh, Daenerys loved. <laughs> oh, no, Daenerys, Daenerys no. let Daddy talk. <laughs> no, it was great. I got, I got. It seemed like uh, people really. Did, that my favorite feedback is that whenever we uh, aired it in chunks on uh, on my morning show, Good Day Chicago, is that people uh, call in and complain that it was too scary. That's and awesome. uh, so I took that as a massive compliment. But you know, everyone, honestly, the people who. Uh, I, I wanted to enjoy it, which is you guys and uh, and and people who really sort of love those movies, and then, and then I got a lot of positive feedback from the actors themselves that were featured in the piece. Uh, it was very positive. I, honestly, I, th- I think I'm just so wiped from from working on it that yeah. I think whenever I was done, I was just sort of like like on, on, to the point where like even by the time it finally aired, because I was done with it and it didn't air for like, I think like another two weeks. Um, like I think I was just going like, oh, like I'm just. I'm, because you guys it know, took like, so I, you much know, time. I, I, it took a I, lot of time. I, yeah, I was talking about it for a month, and then it took me a month to get all the actors together, and then it took me a month to edit it. So, well, um, thank you for asking. But yeah, I think I just kind of forgot about it. It had an impact on me because I watched. Uh, and I don't think I texted you about this, but I, I watched Halloween the other night, and my favorite shot in that film, besides the opening, is the tilt. And I actually, I yes. didn't know, this, I, I didn't know the story until I watched Jake's piece about the actor, like because. Because Carpenter just told him to do that, right? Like, yeah. he was, like, admiring yeah. his kill. Basically, he, yeah. Yeah. I, I just, always just, just found that to be the scariest part mm-hmm. of that movie for some You're reason. right. Because it was, like, this guy admiring his murder. Dude, yeah. it, and Vince Vaughn does it in Freaky, and we forgot mm-hmm. to ask him about it. Ah. Uh, I oh, had that do down in my notes, and he does it early on. Yes, he does it pretty early on, and I figured it was a Carpenter nod, and I wanted to ask him. About That's it. interesting. Damn, Dan, get him back time. on the phone. Can you, Gabe? Can you get him? I'm talking to him Monday. I could, I could Kevin, like, ask him. <laughs> oh, you should ask him. All right. Well, I mean, it's, uh, but I didn't notice it. I mean, I feel like that I would be so, all right. I'll, I'll say my friends from Real Blend noticed this. All right, I'll bring it up. Okay. However, where you want to do All it. All right, we'll find All out right. if it's a nod to Halloween. We'll get the answer. That's a great question. And and based on our interview with him, he's clearly. Like a film aficionado, yeah, so yeah. I think you'll appreciate that question. It's well, so I'll, I'll say, I'll just say, like I was talking to the Real Blend guys who were on our show, and we, we were I'm wondering if this was a nod to uh, literally a nod. Phrase yeah, it like yeah. this: <laughs> an actual say, nod. To, say, uh, uh, <laughs> hey Vince, why did you rip off Carpenter? Isn't that hacky? Yeah, and then I mean, do this. I mean, you already ripped off uh, Hitchcock. <laughs> Might as well just keep going. <laughs> Zing! Hey! All right, we are recording this before episode two of The Mandalorian drops, so we're going to give really quick reactions to how season two uh, is going so far. Uh, I got roasted a bit because at the end of the episode, I didn't quite notice. How did you not know? Do we need to say, do we, we're going into spoilers? Let me settle like, this well, for one I second. Yes, we're going to. Yeah. So hold on. Yes. Let's say that. Well, let, let's give your, give your, give your general thoughts oh. and then, and then we'll do a quick, quick, quick spoiler but, bit. Okay. But, but, but we'll let people know before we start. One thing I will say, and I, I have no problem saying this, Sean, I am 100% with you. Uh, I didn't. Oh, I had on. absolutely no idea. Uh, until right, we'll, Jake we'll, texted me, but we'll get yeah. into it. But you're we'll not alone. I did Thank not you. recognize the character. At I did all. hear that from a lot of other people. So yeah. I thought it was great. I thought Best it was a really of the great. Show. Yeah. But but I'll say this, though. The show does have a and you leveled this criticism at it. And I mm-hmm. can't argue with it. It does have a mission of the week type mm-hmm. formula to it. 
which is okay because I think yeah. that the missions are actually pretty exciting and the practical effects to bring this creature that they have to fight, um, which uh, there's a lot of lore, uh, mythology and lore in the Star Wars universe that gets pulled into this dragon apparently is a really prominent thing to the point where we saw it. We saw it um, <laughs> in like in the, within the first five minutes of A New Hope. Oh, for real? Whenever, whenever On uh, C-3PO, yeah, when C-3PO and R2-D2 oh, yeah. Crash down at the tattooing and they're walking in the desert. They walk by that long skeleton of a crate dragon. No kidding. And as a kid, I've always wondered, like, what the fuck is that thing? Really? Like, like, no kidding. Yeah, I, I, so that's why I was like, when the second that they, then that crate, when the crate dragon shows up, I was like, holy shit, we're actually going to get to see one. Like, right. we've seen a skeleton for. 50 years and now we're finally actually going to be able to see the real oh it's fantastic just, oh. just to give some clarification so for people because i because i had to relook this up too this takes place between return of the jedi yes. and force awakens seven, seven years yes. after right. uh return of the jedi so mm -hmm. i guess my point is are is some of this going to bleed into force awakens are we are we are we anywhere near force awakens time period or are we like stuck in the middle with these two i think stuck in the middle i think yeah, they can tell because, several seasons of mandalorian yeah. before they ever caught up yeah okay Let's All think right. how older, how much older the main characters are from Return of the Jedi until Force Awakens. No, I know that. I'm just, I was just thinking about, because, oh, 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 Jake, I have a question. You since you're the Star Wars uh, person, um, I, and I'll be honest with you. Yes. Huh. See, well, it's funny because when, when they, when they went to Tatooine at the beginning of the episode and we were dealing with the sand, the sand characters, and I was like, okay, this is, there's got it. There's obviously connections here. No question. Um, and forgive my ignorance on this, but why do they, uh, in the Mandalorian episode, and again, Jake is the Star Wars uh, aficionado. I'm a casual fan nerd. of Star Wars. Um, but they mentioned two Death Stars being blown up in mm -hmm. Mandalorian 2. The reason I got confused at first was because obviously the first Death Star blows up in, in you know, the original trilogy. Then we had the Star Killer base in Force Awakens, which was basically a Death sure. Star. What's the second Death Star? No, so there's a second Death Star in Return of the Jedi. Return of the Jedi. That's right. That's right. OK. Yeah. All right. So that's what makes, that makes sense. Because yeah. I, was, mm -hmm. I was confused at first because Star Killer base. That's what I was thinking about. All I also right. didn't I didn't pick up until I watched the episode a second time that the um, ship, the tiny ship that uh, Timothy Oliphant is driving is one half of Kid Anakin's uh, yeah. ship from Phantom Menace. So that stuff is just unbelievably yeah. cool. Like Filoni and Jon Favreau are so immersed in that culture. And I think that for diehard, true diehard Star Wars fans, those are the things you tune into each week. But in addition, just the characters are cool. Mandalorian's cool. Baby Yoda's a cool character. Um, I think bringing in Oliphant is a really interesting way to go. The Oliphant um, thing was awesome. <laughs> wait, did we know he was going to be in Boba Fett's uh, no, no costume and again that's another thing too when you first saw met, met him in that cantina when he came in it was dark and shaded in a way that i just thought he was wearing traditional mandalorian armor yeah. i didn't notice it was boba fett's until he came out of the thing into the sun Same. and then i thought oh all right well look at that but then i got lambasted from other people who were yelling at me about that too saying it was absolutely boba fett so. but sean i mean at the end of the day like <laughs> you and i are are star wars fans but yeah. we're casual fans jake is obviously more of uh, has seen them way more than us i would i would argue um so i didn't even pick up on the ending specifically. Um, and I'm with you. I don't think there's anything wrong with admitting that. I mean, we're all nerds and movie nerds, but at the end of the day, if you don't recognize something, just be honest about it. I, I yeah. did not recognize that person until Jake mentioned who it was. I did. So either. yeah, I don't think Jake did either. I think he's lying. Um, <laughs> you're muted. Your dog hit your mute button. Jake is now holding Daenerys. If you're not watching well, the there, YouTube there version. are uh, window washers outside. And she's very upset. All right, let's get to beyond. Uh, who is that? Let's get to one of the most famous people Featured in a blend game uh, on the history of real blend, 
true Hollywood royalty, Jack Nicholson. Uh, and we are playing hashtag Jack Nicholson blend. Kevin, I'm going to throw it to you first. Tell us your favorite Jack Nicholson film. I mean, this is such a um, a hard one, but the, my favorite Nicholson film, I mean, clearly, if you're going best, I would go Shining. My favorite Nicholson movie is as good as it gets. Oh, um, good and, and a lot of it has to do with the fact that, that it's a film about OCD mm-hmm. um, and there's an OCD element to it. Uh, I was diagnosed with OCD when I was 14. Um, a lot of the way OCD is portrayed in 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 cinema and and media is a little bit kind of like a watered down version of it, the germs element of it and things like that. I mean, I, I've been dealing with OCD all my life, so I've gone through the germs phases and all those different things. Um, I don't necessarily think as good as it gets is the greatest portrayal of OCD ever, but it was it was comforting to watch a major film that dealt with a character who's dealing with. I, mean, I remember what was the show Monk? Uh, yeah, his character dealt with OCD. Um, mm-hmm. And I know OCD has been in cinema. I, there was just something about comforting about seeing it in a comedy. Mm-hmm. Um, but also, I just I just remember I, I love Greg Kinnear. I love the dog in that film. The dog in that film is the is was always the reference of a dog that I would because our last dog, Oscar, was a Brussels Griffin Shih Tzu mix. Oh, yeah. And anytime someone would ask me what kind of dog Oscar was, I would say, do you remember the dog from As Good As It Gets? That was always my reference point. So I think As Good As It Gets... I choose it because of what it means to me overall. I also mm-hmm. think Nicholson is absolutely fantastic in it. It's a comedy. Um, Oscar. Yeah. And I Oscar. think his third. Right. And so it, it, it's interesting to me because generally speaking, comedy doesn't get the love and respect it deserves. But when you throw someone like Nicholson into a comedy and he's dealing with he's he's flowing through drama and comedy masterfully. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. And then the whole Greg Kinnear angle, Helen Hunt. I mean, it is just a wonderful film. And I think that Nicholson, as much as I love him in The Shining and and and, and obviously a lot of the, the work he's done in One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, where he's brilliant. Um, those are films that I have a hard time returning to over and over. Uh, for me, there's a comfort in watching Nicholson in a film like as good as it gets. It's also that's also the Nicholson I know and and remember always. Mm-hmm. I mean, like the, the Nicholson from The Shining and, and Cuckoo's Nest and all those movies. It's a different Nicholson than I grew up with. I kind of grew mm-hmm. up with with that with that 90s Nicholson look. Um, so to me, that's like that. That's like his immortalized role and look for me is that's will always be Nicholson. I mean, it's so funny because like I, I was I'm contemplating in my mind why I didn't go with The Departed, but I, I just find it. I, I think it's. I think it, it's not. It departed's brilliant, and he's it's great in it. Not bad, um, Sean. But okay. I think it's a great movie. I don't know what you're talking about. Um, but but as good as it gets, uh, is going to be my pick. Um, solely because it just means a lot to me. I don't think it is a great. Repre- I don't think it's like a accurate, brilliant representation of OCD. But it plays with the ideas of it in a major motion picture. A major actor is dealing with it, um, and I found it interesting how he handled it um, comedically, dramatically. Uh, I think Greg Kinnear did Kinnear get an Oscar nomination mm-hmm. for yeah. that film? He is so Helen good Hunt in that too. movie. Yeah, Helen um, Hunt won. Yeah, oh, yeah. so mm-hmm. Helen Hunt won for that, and mm-hmm. so did Nicholson. Did mm-hmm. they get a picture nomination? Yeah, like they lost was, to Titanic. Wasn't that the last year? One of the last years that got. Picture director and the three act or three big acting categories. It, it didn't. It didn't. Oh, you mean to be nominated? Nominated. Uh, I, th- I thought well, no. It, American Hustle would have. Oh, did it? Okay. 
I thought it set some kind of a record mm. in terms of like the number of. It may have, but American Hustle, and also that I mean that was the Titanic year, so I think I think it was just those two Oscars, and I think that was it. Gotcha. Can I mention just a honorable, uh, not an honorable mention because it wouldn't even have like cracked my top five, but I just wanted to bring up Anger Management because I kind of like that film. And I, you know, I, I've I know only seen it one time when it came out. I've only I just, seen it since. I just like Nicholson's dynamic with Sandler. I, I, I don't think it's like a great film by any means. I just find it comforting and fun uh, i don't know why I, I don't know why i like nicholson in comedies but i think he does a good job what was it, the bucket list with uh, morgan freeman they did Morgan's together like the bucket list mm-hmm. uh, me too and and i think uh so yeah as good as it gets is probably the one i would uh, pop into my mind first and I, to be honest with you i'll be fully honest i did not have my pick until i just said it there you go jake so, what'd you go with yeah uh, i'm going with the shining uh i mean yeah. just his perform yeah. one it's it's I mean, it's my favorite uh horror movie um but his devolving into a monster his 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 personification of alcoholism um as we've learned you know represented with stephen king um i mean can you remember a monster who is so charming like Mm. like like he is a guy who is genuinely to a point where he is possessed and trying to chop up his family with an axe and i am just sitting there and i cannot take my eyes off of him I mean, I, his performance, like it's, and, and you know, Kevin, you use this, um, this, this sort of train of thought a lot, but it, he, he, it's such also a heartbreaking performance that every time oh. I watch it, I think that like, I, part of me is like, come on, like snap out yeah. of it, man. Like, like you, were you, were you hope, like, you know, like, you know, I'm not, you know, but there's a part of you that hopes that he can, yeah. because, you know, especially too. Dr. Sleep also gave me such a greater appreciation for The Shining and for Nicholson's performance. There's that that moment where it flash forwards in time. And I think Danny's getting like his eight year chip um, at, uh, at AA. And he says something about how, like, my dad wanted nothing more than to be here at this moment. Mm-hmm. My dad, like, my dad wanted nothing more than to be here for his family. And that makes Nicholson's performance even more heartbreaking because he wanted so badly to get away from alcoholism. He wanted so badly to, to get a fresh start that he was like, he like, that's what that hotel was supposed to represent. You know, it was supposed to be represent a chance to bring his family out there, get started on his new novel, get away from the booze. uh, And, and the fact that what ended up happening happened is all the more heartbreaking. Um, And I just thought that he perfectly represents it. He is, he is uh, a man who can represent uh, someone who's broken and down on his luck, but also someone who you're cheering for to get better. And then obviously the man knows how to represent a monster. Um, and I, it's, 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 it was a easy pick for me. And to me, there's nothing more powerful uh, than what Jake was saying about uh, a film where you, you hope something happens differently. Mm-hmm. Like every time I watch Terminator two, I genuinely hope, that that he won't sink himself into the into the molten steel. And it's not again, how movies I, work. Uh, but and, and it's so funny. It's like Titanic. It's the Unless same. Unless they're George Lucas movie. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Greedo shot first. Han shot first. Who cares? No, but I I, I but I find it interesting. Um, what films do that for us? Not every movie does that. There's only certain ones. And I think Back to the Future. Back, Back to the Future to the, with the lightning strike. That's a great. Yeah. One. There's like a Titanic is one yeah. that happens for me on like mm-hmm. I, 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 I say to myself, just get on the board or like maybe this time yeah. you will or like, is you it, know, is it usually movies that we kind of watched growing up where like because mm-hmm. I feel like as a child, you're much more open to the idea of maybe things will work out differently in a movie. Yeah, like I don't sure. really find yeah. myself doing it as much as an adult unless it's a movie that I watched as a kid. 
But and that's kind of the speaks to the brilliance of what Quentin Tarantino did with like Hollywood, for example, where like it's it, you you do get yeah, the magic. Like what if what, you do what, get what, what if it? Yeah. Yeah. And it's like it's very that that to me is very interesting thematically as a filmmaker. If you dive down that path where like you are getting a change. Damn like it. Now I'm going to watch Hollywood again. Uh, dude, I put it on the other day for, I think, the 21st time. Just like, it's a background film now for yeah. me. I, I, it's, I put it's, it on a, a lot yeah. during the summer. It's a great summer. <laughs> like, 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 you know, like there are summer drinks. Yeah. I feel like that's a great summer background movie. Just to, like when, yeah. the, when the sun's up and it's warm outside, pop it on, have it in the background. What are we, that'd be a cool blend game, by the way. I don't know what we would call it, but like second chance blend or whatever it would be like. Where yeah. like we like we a, a movie ending that you always hope will change when you watch it. Mm. I don't know. I don't know if that's too confusing to dive into, but could be something interesting. Yeah. Um, idea so people might assume that my choice for Jack Nicholson blend uh, would be a few good a few men, good men. A, a movie that I raved about often, but I don't feel that that is a Nicholson film. I feel that that's mm. a Tom Cruise film. Uh, so I went with the other Jack Nicholson film, which I could honestly watch daily, which is Chinatown. Uh, yeah. I love when we have three different picks. China, well, especially with Nicholson, his filmography yeah. is so sure. deep. Insane. Um, sure. Uh, obviously, I've talked about uh, my love Jake. for his name's Jake. Detective films, um, very specifically those '40s, '50s, '60s era uh, gumshoe type films. Uh, but as I was falling in love with that genre and picking up a bunch of different examples of them. I tapped into what he did as Jake Giddies uh, in Chinatown, and it just became the seminal example of he is uh, this, he thinks he's the smartest guy in the room. Uh, more often than times, he's not. Uh, he figures out that he, uh, you know, he's working his way through the case, but but comes up with a bunch of clues by accident. A lot of times, yeah, uh, there are huge reveals and gut punches coming in Chinatown that I will not give you away here. Uh, and he is just as gut punched by them as they arrive Physically. Um, oh, my God. Yes. Uh, and he's just phenomenal. I mean, he, he exudes charisma. Young Nicholson is like sh staring at a, a bright, shining star that you can but you can't tear your eyes away from. Uh, obviously, working with Roman Polanski, who was firing all cylinders at that point as well, too. Uh, it's it's probably the best screenplay um, that's ever been made. It's studied up and down. Um, Robert Towns. Screenplay is studied in in classes uh, for the well, way that's that a it's good able blend to. game. Screenplay, screenplay? that's another really good one. And it's a just great the, screenplay. I'm I'm in love with California and that era of California. Yeah. Um. It's uh, it's everything about Chinatown is fantastic, and specifically Nicholson, and specifically the way that he plays it. So and, and they make water interesting. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I was like, when I was thinking of water yeah. when I think of Chinatown. Yeah. Chinatown yeah. is so brilliant, and I, so I, I, I was interviewing someone the other day, Jack, the actor Jack Houston, oh, whose yeah. gr grandfather is. Um, dumb, uh, John, John Houston. Well, John, yeah. It's John Houston. And John Houston's in that scene with with the knife, right? Yes. So Polanski. Um, so no, Polanski. John Houston is the is the grandfather in that one. Um, I think Wait, so. I, I, I don't I, think it's John Houston who cuts him. Well, no, no. Polanski is the one who cuts him. Right. I know that. Polanski plays the guy who cuts him. Correct. I'm, if I'm not mistaken, I believe Polanski is the, that's his cameo. But I think Houston's in that scene too. I think. But maybe I could be wrong. I'd have to I go back know. and see. So John Houston is the older guy who he goes to um, right. on the Orange Groves, who he interviews. But I forget right. he's in that scene with the, but with the nose I'm cut. Almost certain. Someone double check this. I think Polanski's the one who actually cuts his nose. Yeah, and I, I'm almost certain on that. And because mm -hmm. it's so funny because I rewatched. Uh, my father-in-law is so awesome, um, and his birthday's coming up, so happy birthday, by the way, Damien. Um, we watched Chinatown a, a month or so ago at his house, and 
I had no, I uh, to this day I, I did not know Polanski was the one who cut him, cut his nose. I did not know that. Um, it is Polanski. Yes, I'm watching the scene right now. But Houston is in this somewhere in that, and I just can't remember. I don't know why that came to me, but yeah. Anyways, Anywho. great movie, great movie. Yes. But Houston's in the movie for sure. I just don't remember if that's, that's the scene or he not. He is not in the scene where he cuts the nose. John okay. Houston. He goes and interviews him later at a different right. time. Okay, um, cool. And, and I don't want to reveal his importance to the story in case. God forbid you've made it this far into the show and haven't watched Chinatown. Okay, Marquise Martinez says, as good as it gets. And Kevin, they write, it's the film that showed me Jack Nicholson could play somebody other than a crazy maniac. And him as a vulnerable man with OCD being swept off his feet by a waitress was so enjoyable to watch, and he's amazing in it. Randy Buss went with One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. And Lydia Mascaro went with somebody who I was guaranteed one of you two would choose, which is Joker. His Joker from Batman. Uh, but he's, I, I think my issue is that he's yeah, Jack Nicholson. He is. It's Jack, it's Jack Nicholson fighting Batman. Um, you know, you know what? Doesn't, I, that, doesn't that sound that awesome? That does sound awesome. <laughs> you, know, you know what I love him, man? And he's only in it for just a couple of minutes. Uh, broadcast news. Yeah, true. When he he's like the network anchor. Yeah. yeah. Oh, he's great, Matt. Small part, though. It's so uh, funny. I, don't, I, I actually don't, when I think of Batman, I don't think of Nicholson, really. No. But I, if, I, I mean, I, it was. Oh, it was a great. gigantic part for him. But it's funny. Oh, I would yeah. argue the opposite happened in Dark Knight, where oh, like yeah. Ledger was the was the. I mean, uh, aside yeah, because, from, but keep in mind, Nicholson got top billing over Keaton for Batman, and did that he? was one of the Weird. yeah Weird. yeah Nicholson. Look at the go back go back and look at the Batman poster. It says Nicholson on the top. Well, also, well, Keaton was only like Mister Mom at that point, right? Like he didn't have huge roles to his name. I don't think. Yeah, I actually, that's really interesting. I, I can't believe Nicholson got top billing. Yeah. That would uh, be like, yeah, that's weird. So for next week's uh, episode, uh, of course, we have to play hashtag Sean Connery blind. So uh, come up with your favorite Sean Connery film and we will pay tribute to the legend who we just recently lost. So no review this week. Uh, a reminder to drop us a review on iTunes. Um, Gabe, you wanted to punch in and add something to the conversation at this point. Now you are muted, so I'm not quite sure what you're saying. But yes, I did want to punch in. Hi. Um, and just to say, if you've sent a review, oh, yeah. we haven't read it. We recently, I won't get into the details. We recently in the back end of changing a bunch of stuff. Uh, and so something may have fallen through the cracks. Feel free to resend it to us. Realblendedcinemablend.com. Our next uh, premium episode. If you guys are premium uh, people about it, uh, p- uh, subscribers to the premium episode, we are going to be debating the 1997 Oscars. Uh, we're going to be re-reviewing the winners from the 1997 well, Oscars. Well, the, the 98 Oscars, right? For the, the 97 90, movies, right, right, right. 97 right. movies, 98 Oscars. Right. Thank you. Yes, and so um, get Which your is confusing, by the way. Oh, it, is I, it always confusing. throws me off. Yes. Yeah. Uh, as for next week, um, we're going to be back with another very fun guest, and I we mentioned in the show uh, what movie it's going to be related to, so go back and pay attention to to what we mentioned uh it has something to do with the movie that we're all we're getting Kubrick for the shining we're getting jack nicholson is going to come out of retirement and join us mm. on real blend for two uh, hours so follow us at jake's takes at kevin mccarthy tv at sean underscore o'connell follow the show at real I, I do blend. To tell you to that joke before we wrap up whenever i was like sending out mass emails for that monster piece i did reach out to nicholson's people to see if he would talk to me about the shot that's and funny do, do you ever get an email back and you can just like you can see the person's face in their response <laughs> i could just i could just see like the public just going like Jake, like, <laughs> Jake, and they were very nice, and they're basically yeah. like you know, and because I even said the email like, hey, I'm not expecting you know, and basically is it someone like, that yeah. you work with or no, a publicist uh, you work with? Yes, yeah. Oh, interesting. Did, that, yeah. did you? That's, so, a, 
That's a leg in the door. At the Did moment. you reply back? Which is why I think. No, Did you I reply, didn't. You should have replied back and say, "But I, but he's on my bucket list." Uh, and then I guess I, I'll say, "Oh, I guess this is as good as it gets." This is as good as it gets. <laughs> All right. We'll no, talk there were next week. a few good men left. Yeah. All right. Pubie. Pubie. <laughs> Please, October's no. over. We can't no, use it. No, please stop. Shoot that is me. not going to be. We are, we are not. 